It's an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the laws are complicated and constantly changing, the wisest and safest way to keep track of them all is to call elder law attorney Michael Cohen. Having devoted his career to informing and protecting the elderly, Michael communicates about the law in ways that you and your loved ones will surely understand. Join us now to know your legal rights with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here's Michael and Don. Thank you once again for listening to Know Your Legal Rights. My name is Don Crawford Jr. I'm sitting with Dallas Elder Law Attorney Michael R. Cohen. Hello, Michael. What is R? My middle initial is B, but thank you for uh, saying me my, my middle initial wrong again. <laughs> yes, every show, almost every show. R would be stand would stand for revocable as opposed to irrevocable, and that's going to be today's topics because a lot of people ask you, including you said the other day, what is the difference and why this one and why that one? Because you have situations where there can be serious inconsistencies in one or the other. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, people choose. There's lots of different types of trust. Um, there's revocable trust, which means you could always revoke it. You mm-hmm. could always amend it. And there are different types of irrevocable trust. Okay. Um, now, there are some irrevocable trust that – you it just you cannot change anything, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's other irrevocable trust where you have some elements of control where there could be changes uh, at a later time. So it's just a matter of how you design the trust. Right. Uh, so there's lots of different types of irrevocable trust. So a judge would say, okay, this um, client. Uh, did not foresee this happening, and his or her respective attorney did not anticipate for that. The judge, out of sympathy or logic, would say, you know, no one anticipated this scenario, so therefore we might, with an irrevocable trust, make an exception? Oh, well, you're saying can you make a change to an irrevocable trust only by court order, and the answer is you could do it without court order. Without court order. Okay, so so, so you could design an irrevocable trust where there's elements of control, and a lot of times we do that for tax reasons. So when I say tax reasons, there's a couple different things. There's income taxes and there's estate taxes. Mm -hmm. So the Internal Revenue Code says, okay, if you put these elements of control, then we will tax it either at your individual income tax rate and you could design it any way you want so so it's just a matter of what the client's goals were so for income why would you want the client uh, to be taxed that sets up an irrevocable trust well generally it's a lower tax rate mm. see track t- trust irrevocable trust are, t- are generally if it's truly irrevocable where you have no elements of control it's what's called a non-grantor trust then the the trust is taxed, and the t- trust tax rate after t- I can't t- somewhere between twelve and thirteen thousand dollars of income, anything that exceeds that is taxed at a thirty-seven percent tax rate mm. 
uh, on income. Okay. Whereas, of course, it would be a much higher threshold if you were an individual. So, and since most individuals have a lower tax rate than that, you may, if you have an irrevocable trust, depending upon what your goals are, may you may want to have those elements of control so that you are taxed at your individual rate. Now, from an estate tax perspective, you want to also have different things. So what are some of those things? Oh, the, uh, by the way, on income. Well, do you have the right to income? Do you have the right to occupy? Uh, can you do different things? Can you change who your beneficiaries are? Can you change um, who enjoys your assets and things like that? And so similarly uh, for uh uh, I've actually said some of the things that were for estate tax purposes and why for estate tax purposes. Um, so we want to have, since most people's estate in Texas, uh, the estate tax limit for a single individual is eleven million five hundred eighty thousand in 2020. And since most people don't have a taxable estate, we would like it the assets to remain in the estate of the person who sets up the trust. So again, you would say things like who controls the beneficial, uh, the 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 benefit of uh, enjoying the property, either um, including perhaps at death. Uh, so if you have these different um, rights to change things, then uh, the Internal Revenue Code says, well, it's still part of your estate. Okay. So that way you have a – it's no estate tax. So if you have a step-up in basis, you get the value as the date of death Okay. so that you wouldn't pay capital gains tax on the appreciation. Excellent. Whereas if I had given it – if I give stock to a child or somebody else or an irrevocable trust that didn't have that, uh, then the – the donee, the one who receives the gift, in effect, takes the basis of the donor, that is, the one who makes the transfer. So here we would have a step-up in basis, and it could be taxed to you at your individual rate if the proper language is put into the trust. Ah, yes, the proper language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so you have to design it to make sure it complies with the Internal Revenue Code. Mm -hmm. uh, in an irrevocable trust... Uh, has creditor protection mm -hmm. also, except for creditors that were already existing at the time he created the trust. Got it. Now, a revocable trust becomes irrevocable when you, once you die. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So now let's get to what your fact situation was. In this case, and maybe maybe you should say why would we do irrevocable and why would we do an irrevocable first of all. Uh -huh. uh, a lot of times people, as we talked about on last week's show, a lot of times people want to avoid probate, uh, avoid guardianship. If there's property out of state, if they're fearful for a will contest, if they're thinking that um, they want to have make it easier on their family since they don't have to go to court, they make their own rules as to what going by whatever the, the laws are of that state, like in Texas, the estates code. So a lot of times people uh, would like to make things simpler for their uh, beneficiaries by creating a trust. Okay. Not always. I'm not saying everybody should have a trust. Uh, we would usually go over by situation, see whether a will or a trust is best, and what the fact situation was. All right. And why would you have an irrevocable trust? There's lots of different reasons. Um, it could be credit protection. 
It could be that you do want it out of your, you want some life insurance outside of your state if you do have a larger state. It could be for Medicaid benefits. Medicaid has a look back period, and we want to transfer assets to a trust so that it wouldn't be considered an asset. And so the government would be assistance if we can't get long-term care insurance and the cost of care continues to rise and people are living longer. But they would, it would be an asset if it was a revocable trust? Is that the Yes, point? it would be. Oh, okay. If it's in a revocable trust, you could get to your money. So if you could get to your money, then you could pay for the cost of your care. Got it. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, even if you put a home into a revocable trust, and actually maybe even an irrevocable trust, depending on the state, then uh, it will cause an asset. So you've changed a home which, for Medicaid purposes, uh, did not count as an asset if it was in your individual name into a countable asset uh, if you had put it in a revocable trust. Uh, it seems so strange that if you could get to it that all of a sudden you've changed the nature of the uh, asset <clears throat> to from being – non-countable to being countable. Uh, so for Medicaid me- assets, or me- before you get the government to pay for your care costs, they look at whether you have too much assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, a home generally is not included in that. Uh, if you're single, all you can have is $2,000 of countable resources, but there's some things that are non-countable like the home. If you're married, the maximum unless you expand, and this gets into kind of the weeds, and I apologize for that, is $128,640. But if your income, if you're a married couple, uh, if it's low enough, you could often protect hundreds of thousands of dollars without there being uh, a what they call a spin-down. But sometimes if you, you're single or even if you're married, you think that some people uh, might need long-term care and they don't have adequate insurance or income, they could put their assets into this type of irrevocable trust uh-huh. so that it won't count subject to a five-year look-back period. So, so here you can design a trust that's irrevocable uh, as one example of a use of an irrevocable trust that for tax purposes it's still yours, but for Medicaid purposes it's not. The type of trust would be different, by the way, if it was for veterans' benefits, for those who are veterans of wartime or surviving spouses of wartime uh, and who become uh, disabled, not because of service, but just uh, non-service-connected disability. Sometimes we do a different type of trust for them that's also an irrevocable trust, but it would be a different type. You know, so there's lots of different types of trusts. There's special needs trusts. There's all sorts of different things. Um, I spoke at the Dallas Bar the first week of March on seven different types of trust um, uh, to be used in public benefits planning. Hmm. So um, in any event, uh, so there's lots of different ways, and we certainly don't have that time to go through all those different types of trust today. But just realize you just have to look at your circumstance and say, okay, I always liken it to going to either Luby's or saying that we're Baskin Robbins. You just have to tell me what you like. I just, I tell you what the foods are, the flavors are, and you just tell me what one fits you the best. You like a Luan platter? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Or would you rather have a liver and onions? I don't care. <laughs> you want a salad? That's okay. It's whatever you like. You just have to figure out what your options are. You have to know what what fits your taste, and then you just kind of design that estate planning to – fit your individual situation. That's, mm-hmm. that's the way it is. So there's lots of different types of trust, uh, including and, – and, but a revocable trust also becomes irrevocable upon your death. But it, And if you're married, it could be that it becomes irrevocable 
upon the first to die, at least as to that first one to die. Uh, it depends on the way you have your language. Mm-hmm. Which and I'm s- going to ask you about right after our plug for the next workshop, because that's very complicated and fascinating as well. That next workshop is on March the 26th, which is a Thursday at 1 o'clock, followed by Saturday, April the 11th. Either one uh, you should consider attending, because first of all, they're free. First of all, it's two hours of your day that's going to fly by um, because of how interesting and um, um, appealing the information will be when it comes to estate planning and government assistance. And Michael is an expert on both of those. As I say, each program he never reads, uh, it's always coming from his head, uh, and he's there to protect the consumer from anyone just so that your needs and wishes are fulfilled. That is his job as an attorney. And to make certain um, that whatever you have planned happens while you're alive, if you become disabled, or after you pass away, that is his job. And to make certain that the bad guys don't do anything reckless, illegal, even immoral uh, at times. Uh, That is his job, whether it's the government, or whether it's an heir, or the man on the moon. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Great. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I know the audience does too and really appreciates you. So the workshops are two hours, and um, you get to ask questions about your individual circumstances, which is great. And Michael said you can ask even more than one question <laughs> if you need to. He writes them on the board, and then he addresses them right then and there. And it's all very interesting, human interest stories, what this person's going through, what their life's about, and gives you a little peek inside their world, and then you can internalize it and apply it to maybe your world, which then just gets the wheels moving even more. Yeah. Um, you just, you know, you see what goes on with other people, and they say, oh, gee, how did I protect? What does that affect me? Right. And so it's just a dialogue and say, oh. And usually a lot of times when people ask questions, they say, well, here's what the problem was, and here's what the solutions are. Here's an example of an actual situation, because it just, usually when somebody says something, I say, well, that reminds me of this case. Kind of like what we were kind of talking about a little bit today in the prior shows. Uh, and we think about what what the experience. Uh, I've been doing this stuff a long time, so I, I tell people I'm an elder elder law attorney. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, we just kind of look at whatever your situation is. We see what the questions are you have, and hopefully we answer those questions during the workshop. And if not, you get a free one on one vision meeting uh, if you so desire. To if you're interested in going to the free estate planning essentials workshop, which is two hours. Uh, just all you have to do is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. Uh, you know, I think you'll find that you're going to – you'll see that the two hours, like you, like Don said, just flies by. And I think you're going to find uh, – you'll find out a lot of information, things that you never even thought about will undoubtedly uh, be brought forth at each workshop. So if you do want to go to that, then certainly sign up at that by calling that 214-720-0102. 
number, and you'll also get a free KWM coffee mug. Who can ask for anything more just by just by going to that workshop? So I know that's the real reason why people attend. And I, I look on eBay all the time to see people are selling them as collector's items, but so far so good. I haven't seen any. So Yeah, maybe that. it's on Amazon Prime. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it is. We'll have to look there. So let me ask you a question. I'm sure it's happened in, in our world, in our lifetime, right under our noses, and probably even at your practice. Uh, he has an irrevocable trust, or revocable trust. It becomes irrevocable upon his death, and she didn't like it, whatever the reasons are. And she being gonna, being the wife? Yes. Okay. She's going to contest it for something. Uh, he was losing his mind in the very end or under duress or undue influence or whatever the reasons are. Uh, we were going to make changes, and then he died suddenly, and now I want to contest this. Did that stuff happen? Well, first of all, you have to look at the language of the – well, first of all, when you set up any document, uh-huh. does the person have mental capacity is always uh, one thing, one threshold. Okay. Or was there undue influence? That's another thing. Was there duress? So there's different equitable arguments on anything. And okay. maybe we'll, we'll have a show on that uh, maybe next week. Great. Uh, but in any event, the um, – here the, – but then, Will, what's the language of the trust? Does it say – that it become does the revocable trust become irrevocable after the first spouse dies, at least as to a portion, or that you can't change beneficiaries. Okay. So, so we had a case uh, uh, just just this last week where the uh, husband wife said, "Okay, all goes to the survivor." However, and and then after, first of all, after both of them die, it goes equally to the beneficiaries. However, it said upon the first of the husband and wife to die, that is that there cannot be changes to the beneficiaries. Now, similar later in the trust, the husband said he had a special directive that goes equally to the two children, and the wife had something that all went to one child. Mm. Now, in this case, uh, it should be mentioned that you know we talked a little bit about public benefits. Um, uh, the home was in a revocable trust, and I told you that if you have a home in a revocable trust, then it counts for Medicaid. Right. Whereas if it's not, it doesn't. In this case, hu- husband died first, and now wife is in a nursing home. So the the trustee, being child, transfers it back to mom so mom would have eligibility for medicaid okay well that's that's fine sure that's now all of a sudden you've changed the nature of the resource from being countable to being non-countable but what was the problem the problem was that um now mom's on medicaid after mom's death the state could go after the property to the extent that medicaid benefits have been advanced so what did he do We've talked about on prior shows a ladybird deed. But what did the attorney do? And that wasn't me, by the way. Uh, the attorney did a ladybird deed that all went to the to the one to the son, okay. and not and nothing to the daughter was not mentioned. So hmm. uh, we said so. Oh. So the argument is: How do you? How do you, it, that avoided Medicaid estate recovery? But remember, in the uh, the trust, the way it was worded was all went to spouse, and then on wife's portion, it said uh, something like there was a special directive that it went to son, 
for her only. She had a bad relationship with the daughter. But in another spot in the in the trust, it said after we die, everything goes equally to the kids. Hmm. Inconsistency. Yes. Inconsistency brings lawsuits. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. And, Especially between siblings. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and also, remember, uh, the, it, it, the, the trust said it becomes irrevocable, at least as to beneficiaries, upon the first to die. So what is your interpretation? Hmm. Well, what if you're a title company, what would you do? Well, um, uh, well, I'd be worried a little bit because could you say that there was tortious interference with the estate because it became irrevocable upon the first to die, and therefore the daughter has a right to sue, and I think that there is certainly a legitimate cause for that. Mm-hmm. And so theirs gets into a situation of somebody using, a, in my mind, a form. And they just use some form trust, and that's what gets you in problems because they didn't think about things. If there's whenever there's an inconsistency, then that's usually a drafting error, and um, and that's what happened in this case. There's a drafting error when there's dra- when there's there's something that's either vague or inconsistent or something like that. That's what breeds that, and the fact that anything's unequal. Uh, is generally when things are, you know, people complain. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the most likely scenarios that there might be some sort of uh, lawsuit. So, um, so anyway, so here we got a situation where irrevocable trust became irrevocable. But who gets what? It was successful in the fact that the person got on Medicaid. Mm-hmm. It was successful in the fact that a state recovery is avoided, but. Will there be a problem between the son and the daughter? You better believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so now, you know, they could work out their differences if they can, but will they? Yeah. I don't know. And will it also have a, uh, an effect upon their relationship for life? Does she have a right to know what he was doing in, in terms of— of the home and that he was going to be the heir? I mean, is that self-dealing or is that, did he brainwash the mom? Well, that's right. You could argue that if mom didn't sign the deed, if he signed the, the deed, remember we talked about um, in last week's show about a power of attorney could sign a ladybird deed, but what if there is there allowance of self-dealing? It depends on the power of attorney. Will a title company say that that's good because of or bad? Be automatically if you deed it to yourself. Right now, he could be arguing. Well, it says a special directive. It's just to me. But will a title company feel comfortable about insuring that risk, where they would uh, have potential liability from the daughter? Uh, I, if if you're if I'm a title company, I'd say, well, gee, one second, I want daughter to sign off on this thing, right, right. you know, because uh, I don't really want to. I'm uh, I'm insurance, mm-hmm. and I don't want to insure that, right? Because they'll it get could, sued, right? It could, they could be sued. Mm-hmm. They said well, we wish you, we said there was good title. Right. If they looked and saw, now they might not ever see. They may not go. Remember, they do a search on title, and they go back through the chain of title. <laughs> and so they could see that it came from the tr- it went into the trust and then it went out of the trust. Yeah, interesting. But will they look at the trust? I don't know. It depends on the title company. Will a title company recognize? There was another question. Will a title company even recognize anything? Well, we'll we'll see. Well, that's that gets into the insurance question, which mm-hmm. again I think we might do another show on mm-hmm. that uh, soon. But what will they insure? What will they insure? Well, 
In this case, it's a real question because of the language in the trust that was inconsistent. Right. The first thing says, part of the trust says it's irrevocable upon the first to die is to change of beneficiaries, and yet mom's portion of the trust had a special directive. Uh, so it's a lot of different things to think about when you do a trust, and, and so a lot of times people are concerned about, uh, well, should I make it? Rev- let the surviving spouse continue to be able to re- revoke it, or am I concerned that that spouse will make some sort of change? Mm-hmm. So you could design the trust whatever way you want. Do you totally trust the person and still let them have it revocable, or are you concerned that they may change the beneficiaries? And so it's a matter of how you design the trust. And that's perfectly said. You sit there and watch these shows like uh, Dateline in 2020 and Forensic Files, and you have the family member who would say, she would never do that. He would never do that. And all the evidence in the world indicates they did murder that person, for example. And this is the same situation. You can never say never. And Michael establishes guardrails to prevent protect you and prevent those situations from happening so that you don't get burned while you're alive or your state isn't burned after you pass away. Make sure that never happens. At least attend his next workshop, which is on March the 26th, which is a Thursday or Saturday, April the 11th. Just sign up today. Just get on, 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 on the list if it's sold out and you'll roll over to the next date if you don't make it or grab some seats now. Go to DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com, or dial 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102 for Michael Cohen. Michael, thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. leading estate planner practicing law in Dallas, Texas for decades now, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the estate planning laws that can affect your family and you. The first step is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com to sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214 720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on 770 KAAM for six years, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate and complete what could currently be a deficient estate plan. Make sure it is done your way and sign up for his next workshop today 